and welcome to the show. This is episode number 66 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about For the Love of Spock on your fascinating podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So we're back with our second documentary. Um, watch, listen to last week's episode if you want to find out more about why we're doing documentaries. Um, but this was Mandy's choice. Uh, so I picked Indie Game the movie. That was the first one I wanted to cover. You it, almost before I'd even said Indie Game, you came to me and were like, "We're doing for the love of Spock." <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> so, why was this the first one you wanted to hit up so quickly, and why have you not watched it before? Um. Okay. So I. Well, if you listen to last week's episode, then you know just documentaries kind of really aren't my thing. I'm like such a fiction-driven person that documentaries have always seemed like they would be ridiculously boring to me. And so I was just never really interested in them. But um, in the last couple of years, I've really started embracing kind of this sci-fi loving side of myself. And that includes Star Trek. Um, You know, we've done the Wrath of Khan on this show and we've talked about doing the original series or maybe Mm. Deep Space Nine um we just did galaxy quest you know which is a nice star trek parody and and so when i found out that for the love of spock was a documentary that had been made i was intrigued by it and of course the way i found out about this documentary being in existence was through the episode of the big bang theory where they talked about it okay i didn't know it was a thing until they did that episode But then I was really intrigued because it was Adam Nimoy. It was Leonard Nimoy's son doing this story about his father and this beloved character that his father played. And so it just sounded like it would be something I would want to know more about. And since it was bringing in together kind of all of these things that I love and, you know, introducing me to this new genre of film that I haven't been familiar with, I thought this would be something that I would enjoy. And so that would be a really good way to start my education in documentaries, even though it ended up being our second one. Okay. Does that make sense? It does okay. indeed. I've not actually seen that episode of The Big Bang Theory. I, I tapped out before they got to that point. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm still up to date on that show. I, I'm too far in it now to give it up, so... <laughs> You've bet so much money on it, you might as well just con- continue playing the hand. Yes, but I mean, they really do need to just like finish it up now. Like, I need to stop watching it, but I can't as long as it's still on. So yeah, that's, where, that's where I am on that. Um, For the Love of Spock is a 2016 documentary about Leonard Nimoy and his most famous character, Spock, from the television series Star Trek. It was directed by his son, Adam Nimoy, who initially planned the documentary purely about Spock as a pop culture icon with his father. However, Leonard Nimoy passed away a few months after they started this project, and so the documentary also moved to tell the story of his life. To raise funds for the licensing of stills, video, and other material, Adam Nimoy opened a Kickstarter campaign. During the campaign, the film raised over $662,000, making it the most funded documentary on the platform at that time. And I, I feel like I should do a, like a disclaimer. Yeah, this, this podcast actually backed that Kickstarter. Okay. And has a vested interest in it. <laughs> okay. See, I didn't realize that they started this as a project together before Leonard Nimoy passed away. I think my assumption mm. was that this was a thing that he decided to do after his dad died to kind of celebrate his father's life. Because that's that's how it comes across when you watch it. Um, mm. And so I didn't realize that 
it really was just supposed to be about the character and the impact of that character on pop culture. So that's interesting because that's definitely not the show that we got. Yes, absolutely. And it was clearly only a few months. Like I think they started planning it in November and he passed away in February, something on those lines. Wow, okay. So this was this was the project they were both working on at okay. the time. Yeah, they didn't he didn't really talk that much about that in this, unless I missed it. It that didn't come across in the information we were given. Um yeah, because it's it's the bit that he talks about at the beginning and then they just move into the documentary. Which is interesting because that bit where he talks about it is effectively taken from the Kickstarter video about it. Okay. It's almost that same intro and it's just I, I don't know whether it changes the expectation or undermines some of what the film is a bit. Don't know. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, do you want to tell people what it's about? Have I done too much of that already? Well, I mean, I feel like you kind of gave a really good synopsis already. It It is just, I mean, it's a documentary about Leonard Nimoy and his most famous character, Spock. Okay. So uh, did you have to buy this? Do you have it available anywhere over there? It is available on Netflix in the US, which I was very happy about. (laughs) (laughs) And if you backed it on Kickstarter, I imagine you already had access. Yes, I got the digital copy, which I think we got slightly earlier than the public release. Um, But it is also available on Netflix in the UK as well. Okay, that's great. Hmm. With Zachary Quinto as the person on the, the still image of it for me. Oh, well, that's interesting. I think we should start doing this. When we watch stuff on Netflix, we should compare the icons and perhaps even like put them on Instagram or something. Because did you see there was an article about how they change the still image on in- on Netflix depending on who's watching it? Yes. Um, now I'm actually um, opening my Netflix right now so I can find it and see what it was for me. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. remember. I wonder if some of them are very generic. It's the same image or post or something, but... The fact that they were finding differences for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and The West Wing and things, it's like, ah, they're they're really, even just the still images being used as marketing. Yeah. Um, So when I search for it, I get Zachary uh, Quinto as well. Okay. Yeah, so I wonder if if some things, particularly movies, might be a bit generic. Right. Hmm. Okay. So you'd seen this on The Big Bang Theory, and other than that, hadn't really heard about it. Did you have any expectations for what this was going to be? Um, I didn't really have expectations for what it was going to be just because I'm so unfamiliar with documentaries and the various styles of documentaries. Um, but I assumed I would enjoy it because of the subject material. Mm. I mean, it's Spock and Leonard Nimoy. I didn't really think I wouldn't like it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your, um, do you have any experience of Nimoy outside of Star Trek? And then obviously Zachary Quinto is the other Spock and Star Trek in general. Uh, yeah. Leonard Nimoy, just Spock. Um, okay. It's interesting because at the beginning of the documentary, before they really got into Spock and Star Trek proper, they showed all of these clips of Leonard Nimoy with his acting jobs prior to Star Trek. Mm. And they were so weird. It was so weird to see him <laughs> acting in roles where he didn't have the haircut and the ears. I mean, it completely blew my mind because I had no idea he had ever done anything besides Star Trek. Um, okay. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Star Trek we've talked about uh, several times on the show. So I've, I'm familiar with The Next Generation. I've watched all of that. I've watched all of Voyager. We did The Wrath of Khan on the show. Um, I have seen all of the J.J. Abrams reboot movies, which is also how I'm familiar with Zachary Quinto because he was Spock in those new movies. Um, and then he mm. was also – he's been a recurring character on American Horror Story for a few of the seasons. 
So I, I'm, okay. I'm in there. He was the one I most remember him from was Murder House, which was the first season. But I know he he was in Hotel, and I I think he might have been in one of the other ones. I can't remember. But I think I I saw him as Spock first, and then I started recognize him recognizing him in other roles. Got it. I it's just occurred to me thinking about um, Leonard Nimoy. Because he does a cameo on a Simpsons episode about the monorail. So one of the famous episodes of The Simpsons. Okay. And I don't think that was mentioned at all. And that's like such a a more modern yeah. uh, appearance for him. No, it wasn't mentioned at all. I don't think, um, apart from the few things that he did right after Star Trek got cancelled, um, when he did Mission Impossible and then uh, he moved on to Broadway for a little while, they didn't mm. mention anything that he had done after Star Trek besides the Star Trek movies and then directing and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it, even that they basically move from Star Trek two and then he directs a couple and then we move on. Right. We don't go into the films at all. Too much. I wonder if that's harder to license. I wonder if it's different because it's a film company rather than a, like it's going to Paramount rather than going to whoever does it on TV. Yeah. I don't know. NBC probably. Um, yeah. It, it was NBC was the, the network, but. I, I just don't know how any of that stuff works. Hmm. And one other thing, just to to mention as one of his great appearances, he is Galvatron in Transformers the movie. Oh, okay. In in the original animated movie. I had no idea. <laughs> um, I do realize that I would be very remiss if I did not mention Zachary Quinto's character on Heroes. Mm. I forgot. That is actually where I first saw him, was on Heroes. Okay. And, and then he was Spock. <laughs> And then he was on American Horror Story. And I, I just don't want people, you know, yelling at me on Twitter because I forgot. <laughs> yes, that is uh, what he was most famous for up until Spock, I think. Yeah. Up until Star Trek. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot Siler whenever I was writing that list down. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, heroes. Heroes. <laughs> it was good until it wasn't. Oh, heroes. Um <laughs> Okay. Did you actually enjoy this documentary? Oh, I did. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as I liked Indie Game last week, I think I liked this one even more. Okay. What appealed to you about it? Probably the very thing that frustrated you about it. Okay. Um, okay. And what would that be? <laughs> well, okay. So last time when we talked about Indie Game, we kind of talked about different styles of documentaries. And you had specifically called out um, documentaries that are teaching you about a subject similar to March of the Penguins, where it's mm. just about the penguins and you're learning how they live and what they do, blah, blah, blah. And mm. then you've got documentaries like Indie Game, which are kind of giving you a snapshot of a process or you know, someone's life. This is a specific time period that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. It's not the beginning of a story. It's not the end of a story. It's just, here's a piece of time. Right. And I, yeah, I think I talked about the, the human spirit as applied to something. Right. And yeah. this documentary doesn't fit into either of those molds. Um, and it feels less like okay. a documentary than it does like a movie. It was very subjective. It was very emotional. Like, they wanted you to feel emotion the way that they uh, scored the music and the way the music mm. swelled in certain places. And they had images of Leonard Nimoy on the screen and the music behind um, all of these people doing the Vulcan greeting. And it was just intended to really evoke emotion rather than just give you facts. And that's why I liked it so much because I am such an emotionally driven person. And while I did learn a lot of things about Leonard Nimoy watching this, 
I didn't feel like I was just watching somebody telling me facts about his life. And that's why I really liked it. Does that make sense? Right. It does. Um, and I imagine those are the things that kind of frustrated you because you are far less emotionally driven and you wanted more of tell me about Leonard Nimoy, not tell me how I should feel about Leonard Nimoy. Yes, absolutely. I, I feel like it sits in between the two camps, but not well enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really want the documentary about Spock. That the, the first idea that they had, the thing about here is talking about this character and the development of the character, its impact on pop culture, the development of the character, so on. And I don't mind the, the biography of um, Leonard Nimoy, but that doesn't even go far enough because it's it's exactly the thing you make in the months after someone's passed away. Yes. It is it is the remembering Leonard Nimoy rather than the biography of. Um, and particularly because there's times when it touches on what could be difficult subjects, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really take them anywhere. So it touches on him and Bill Shatner and their relationship. And it touches on his um, alcoholism and his estrangement from his son and his family, but but doesn't really go into this is why he struggled, this is his emotions or his depression or his mental state over it. It's just, this was a thing, but then we made up and it's amazing and I'm so happy and now I'm making this film because he's such a wonderful person. Right. Which is very nice, but it's so personal to these people. Yes. Um, but I think... That's why I enjoyed it. I mean, I I would have liked to have learned more about Leonard Nimoy because you do come out of this feeling a little bit like Leonard Nimoy was a saint, even though, like Mm. you said, they did touch on it a little bit that he wasn't. You know, you did learn about his alcoholism and and you did learn that him and his son had an estranged relationship, even though they never gave any specifics about it. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was whenever they showed the family photo um and and adam specifically said this is a really good photo and it's really indicative of the time because if you look at it nobody in the picture is smiling and that's the worst thing they said about anybody in this whole movie was Mm. here's a period of time we were unhappy but all of this other really great stuff was going on and my dad was awesome and amazing so i i can totally understand why people could be frustrated or why you would be frustrated and i would i think like to see a little bit more but I did just really enjoy the emotional attachment with this because it it was warm and fuzzy and I like warm and fuzzy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I know how to say that. Yeah. Because there are times in this documentary when it is really interesting talking about the development of the character, the creation of the character, mm-hmm. not necessarily the development, but they talk about what he brought to it, what they wrote as the original pilot, what they then wrote as the second pilot, how they adapted the character, the the direction for the director. Um, oh, direction from the director. That's good. <laughs> the instruction from the director about um, and the way you say fascinating, the way you treat it, and, and how he grew the character in that way and came to understand him because he was playing him every day for several years. Mm-hmm. And Spock had one word to say, and the word was fascinating. And we're looking at this thing on the screen, you know, and everybody else is reacting, oh, look at it, blah, 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 blah. And I got caught up in that energy, and I said, fascinating. And the director gave me a brilliant note and said, be different, be the scientist, be detached. See it as something that's a curiosity rather than a threat. Fascinating. Well, a big chunk of the character was born right there. That's fascinating. I really love that stuff. But we get 
those bits of it in the middle and then we don't take it with what he then did for the character in the movies how he wrote him how he played him differently the journey goes through there because and there is more to that story i think mm-hmm. and and i was i was want to know a lot more about that and what he thought when he was writing these movies and directing them and ah i should go and read his autobiography shouldn't i that's the basic thing <laughs> yes Actually, I'm actually kind of interested in that now because I, I had no idea. Actually, most of the things I learned about Leonard Nimoy in this documentary, I had no idea about. I didn't know how much he contributed personally to the creation of Spock. Things mm-hmm. like he came up with the Vulcan death grip and he came up with the Vulcan greeting. And, you know, he kind of worked on that inflection of the word fascinating and and him, you know, playing it not with an absence of emotion, but... like significantly controlled emotion and and that sort of thing and i would have Hmm. been really really interested to see kind of how those changes evolved and Mm. kind of see what it looked like before versus what it looked like after he was able to provide some of that creative input Mm -hmm. which you think you would get in a documentary called for the love of spock but yeah you know we just get a little bit of it um, but it was it was nice to see that he really did create this character. He may not have come up with the original concept, but the Spock that we got, the legacy of Spock, was created by Leonard Nimoy. And I think that was fantastic. And they did do a really good job of showing that. Hmm. And I, I particularly love because we get oh, probably only a few minutes, but from Zachary Quinto talking about taking over. And, and he does... Uh, very much talk about it as taking on the mantle of the role but about how times have changed so he's allowed to develop the character in a different way and understand its history and and how to play it mine is a very different spark than your dad's i was really fortunate to be able to explore even more than your dad because as entertainment evolved as narration evolved as storytelling evolved over the intervening decades between when he created the role and when i assumed it I think that uh, it it opened up a little bit more space for us to get in and and play with that. And again, it's fascinating, but you get that little bit there and you get a little bit from Zoe Saldana and a bit from Chris Pine and then we move on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It leaves me a little frustrated there. Okay, I can see that. And then, like I say, on, on the other side, I'm a bit frustrated because I feel... It's it's so close for his son to be doing this documentary that he is not prepared to give us all the story that might be make up a, a good, solid, well-rounded documentary. Mm-hmm. This is so, exactly as you've said, it's so loving, it's so emotional that it, it deifies Leonard Nimoy in its, uh, in its telling. It does. And I, I think it was really interesting that it was in 2013, I guess, no. 2015, I think, whenever um, Adam Nimoy went to his first Star Trek convention, when mm. he was filming this, that is his his father was Spock, and he had never been to a Star Trek convention in his entire life. That was shocking to me. Yeah, and he he told us part of the story about how he he felt he was fighting the Trekkies for the love of his father, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's almost obliquely hinted out in his words, yeah. rather than directly, and either. A different director would have asked different questions or would have done more interviews with different people to to fill that story in. Because, again, really interesting. It's like, I, I can I completely understand that. And there's not much about the children of celebrities because they tend to com- either completely shy away or try to be something in their own right. Right. I think 
the way this film ended was when Adam Nimoy was asking everybody, you know, if you could describe my father with one word, what would it be? Mm. And over and over, the word was love. If there was a word you would use to sum up or describe either my dad as an individual or Spock, the character, what, what would that be for you? The first word that does come to mind is loving. Love. If, if it's free association, then it's definitely just love. And the final person who said it was Zachary Quinto. And, and then he followed up with... What's yours? And it cuts to black. Hmm. And my instinct immediately was like, oh, wow, he didn't answer it, which is really telling because, you know, we found out in this movie that they were estranged for so long. But then the more I sat there and thought about it, I realized that this documentary is his answer to that question. This documentary is yeah. a love letter to his father. It's not a documentary. Like, we need a new genre name for what this movie is because it's not a purely objective factual telling of the character of Spock, how it was created and Leonard Nimoy's life. It's here's this man who just died. I love him very much. Our lives were troubled, but I can pull out all of the wonderful, amazing things to honor him after he's died. And Mm. I think he did if that was his goal, he did a really good job and he, you know, he he met that goal. He did what he was setting out to do if that's what he was setting out to do. But I, I don't think that it is a documentary in the sense of, in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah. I, I don't know there was another word for it. And I, I think it does still come under that because documentary is largely used as, in the same way we talk about nonfiction mm-hmm. in, in books, but... Even within nonfiction, you have different genres. So this is, uh, yeah, you're right. It's something different, but I don't know what that word is. Right. I mean, there, there's not a better word that I can think of. Yeah. Um, uh, a biography is probably the closest I can come up with because there are biographies I've read of people that are uh, telling one part of the story or out to uh, make someone sound like a villain, whereas another one makes them sound ingenious and so clever. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Brian, Brian Clough, one of my heroes here. Okay. <laughs> there are many sides to his story. They say he's another Muhammad Ali. There's just one Muhammad Ali. And I want you to, whoever you are, you, you are not a fighter and you don't take my job. I'm the talker. Now, Clough, I've had enough. Stop it. <laughs> well, are you going to stop it? No, I want to fight him. Hmm. In some ways, there's not a huge amount to talk about on this because it, it is very interesting and there's some nice moments. There's some nice stuff that you go away and go, oh, okay, that's good. But there's nothing that stays with me as I, I really feel I've learned something from this. Like you say, it's it's more an emotional thing of, ah, oh, what a great man. Yes. He did something good. I came away feeling happy, a little bit mm. sad because, you know, he died um, and they they kind of ended on an emotional high note, you know, starting with his brother started crying when he was talking about Leonard being on his deathbed. And then they move on to, you know, Leonard was love, blah, blah, blah. And so you kind of end on this very emotional high note, but you don't come out of it thinking, wow, that's a fascinating subject. And I want to know more about it. You just come out Mm. feeling, I'm really glad I watched that. That was great. Now let's get on with my day. And like you've said, at the beginning, you respond so strongly to emotional ele- elements of a film, mm-hmm. um, emotional elements of storytelling that, yeah, I can see why this would appeal to you so strongly. Yeah. Um, I Ooh. did actually tear up a few times 
watching it <laughs> okay. just because the emotion. And it, I mean, and it's not even like Leonard Nimoy was a hero of mine. He was somebody that I knew who he was. I mean, he's iconic. Um, but the emotion that they were driving through the music and the imagery that they were using in this movie affected me. And right. it, it did bring me to the point of tears on a few occasions. Ah, nice. Yeah, I'm a sucker, I know. <laughs> um, we had a comment from at Jawsbot17 uh, that she said she was so surprised to see just how long the estrangement between dad and son lasted. The doc is obviously made with such love for his father, it gave me a lot of hope for many broken families I know to see that. Plus, I mean, Spock rocks. That sounds like a board game we should be developing. Spock rocks. I so I think that. that's that's a like <laughs> patented Jossy uh, stream of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Spock rocks. You heard it here first. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, and again, you could almost make a, a documentary on that subject. What happened to them during those few years, mm-hmm. or what happened to just son and father, without really doing too much about the Spock thing and Leonard Nimoy's life outside of that? And it would probably be very interesting as a study of. Families healing, splitting apart and then healing. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because I, I saw Jazzy's comment before I had finished watching the movie. And I was thinking, wow, I don't really know what she's talking about because I was probably halfway through with the movie at this point And they mm. hadn't really talked about their estrangement yet. It was in the last third of the movie that I think he even used the word estranged. You know, and that's yeah. when he talked about when his marriage failed and he left his family. He didn't even think to call his dad. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a more serious thing than I realized it was, you know, because Mm. they had just not, I guess they had fluffed over it and and everything they had done. Um, And and it wasn't until close to the end that you realize, oh, this was a much bigger deal than they've made of it. Mm. So definitely glossing over things. Yeah. But uh, good on them for at least broaching it. But Mm -hmm. I think for both of us, perhaps it would have, uh, worked better. I know worked better is not the right thing, so we're not talking about a, a fictional narrative here, but to start off with understanding that they had this really troubled, difficult thing. Mm-hmm. But it is just, we're going to tell you about Leonard Nimoy. Spock's so famous, so we're going to make Spock a big part of it. But um, I, th- I think where I went into this, expecting a documentary about Spock, and it was much more Leonard Nimoy. Right. And on both sides, not as much information as I would have liked. Yeah. Well, did you have anything that you did really love about this movie? I, I think we said last week, it's really hard to talk about favorite bits from a documentary. <laughs> oh, I, I really liked where they told us that one bit of information <laughs> thing. Um, but but there were uh, two things that stood out to me that I was like, oh, okay, I need to make a note of that one. The, the first is Bill Shatner talking about being jealous of the attention Spock was getting and the popularity of Spock. Mm-hmm. I go to Roddenberry who then says very wisely, if Spock is popular, then Kirk is popular, and the show is popular, and that's what we all want. Yep. And, and Bill Shatner says. And from that moment on, I encompassed the popularity of Spock and, uh, and uh, was okay with it and, uh, and, and, and enjoyed it. Yep. Like, sure, Bill, sure. <laughs> I mean... All the stories of the two of you counting each other's lines to make sure you got the same number. Sure. <laughs> and and that's, I think, part... Because I do know a bit more about some of these stories from other biographies and documentaries and so on. Right. That it's like, okay, they're telling the very sterilized version of the story. Mm. 
Yeah. It did make me laugh, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, you did, but also... You know the, the bits where we get the uh, the interview between Shatner and Nimoy? And they're talking, I think it's at Nimoy's home. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I think it's like an hour long. It's like a, a really, really interesting interview with them talking about their experiences um, and, and working and growing up together, effectively. And the first time I heard about that was this thing of Bill Shatner steals a photo from Leonard Nimoy because he's jealous of it. And there is this very nice moment in there where he sees a picture up on the wall and they talk about it. And he's like, I've never seen that picture. It's lovely. I really like it. And I, I can't for the life of me remember what it is. It is probably is one of the crew or of the set or something. And Leonard Nimoy gives it to him. He says, well, if you like it so much, I want you to have it. It's my gift to you. But it was done as this thing of Shatner always wants what Nimoy has. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other bit, which is absolutely tiny and nothing to do with Leonard Nimoy or Spock or Adam Nimoy or anyone. One of the writers from the original series uh, is one of the people interviewed. And Mm -hmm. it just comes up with her caption of Dorothy Fontana. And she is credited every single involvement with Star Trek. And I think even on Wikipedia as DC Fontana. Because of the thing that women don't do sci-fi and fantasy. So you disguise the name by using initials. And the fact that in this film, it just says Dorothy Fontana. It's like, I I have a lot of respect for them to do acknowledging her properly rather than, well, what if people aren't sure who she is? Let's put her Star Trek link in here or something. Yeah. It just, that made me very happy. Like, oh, good. I saw, did you see the, the author V. Schwab talking about that, Victoria Schwab, and saying she chose to do that on other people's recommendation. She'd rather people read her book and then dealt with their prejudice over gender than didn't read it at all. Yeah. The interesting thing about her, though, is that she only did that on her um, adult mm-hmm. novels, her young adult novels, it says Victoria. Ah, okay. So I knew her as Victoria Schwab before I knew her as, as V. E. Schwab, but uh, I totally understand why she did that. Yeah. And it's it's a very rational choice. It's just a shame. Yeah. Um, how about you? Anything else that you've been not touched on? I was surprised to see some of the actors they had on there talking about Leonard Nimoy because they don't have anything to do with Star Trek, at least in my mind. Um, and one of them was the actor Jason Alexander, who I am a fan of, <laughs> just, you know, yeah. not just from Seinfeld, but from other things that he's done. But he was talking about um, William Shatner and how Shatner worked with Spock. And, and like kind of how his character developed around Spock. And he said, you know, I don't know if I had played Kirk that the, it would have dawned on me to have a sense of humor with Spock. I don't know that I would have thought of that. But Shatner's take on it was, uh, I can f*** with Spock. I mean, you know, and without being offensive to the character, I can play with him. Mm. That just made me laugh. Um, yeah. Partly because he said I can f*** with Spock, which is just a funny sentence <laughs> by itself. <laughs> um, but also because it, it's just an interesting way of thinking about different perspectives on character and how different people see things differently. And it just it stood out to me. Like I had to stop and rewind it and listen to it and, and make sure I got the quote right when I wrote it down. And mm. um, I I really enjoyed that because, you know, Shatner and Nimoy have had a complicated relationship and so mm. just kind of seeing this little positive spin on the choices that both of the characters made were good and generated this, you know, iconic relationship on screen was was nice to see. Mm. Um, I also really liked just learning about Litter Nimoy in general because I didn't know anything about him other than he was Spock. Um, 
the the hobbit song what is it the ballad of bilbo oh my god <laughs> bilbo bilbo baggins oh my god <laughs> bum, bada, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bilbo bilbo baggins he's only three feet tall bilbo bilbo baggins the bravest little hobbit of them all <laughs> i was staring at my screen like i don't know what's happening right now and i hate it but i love it and i don't want it to stop but oh my god it needs to stop <laughs> i'm having some very complicated feelings with that on my tv screen i didn't know that was a thing now i know that's a thing and i kind of wish i didn't know that that was a thing um i had no idea he sang yeah like these are like i yeah well okay Maybe saying he sang is is a, a wrong thing. Um, <laughs> he tried to sing. I like Shatner's line there. He said, "But he was a better singer than I was. I mean, he could uh, he could sustain a note uh, um, uh, off key, but sustain a note." <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because Shatner is probably the better singer, probably the more successful singer. Wait, Shatner sang too. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a few albums. He's got a wow. uh, more recent one he did with Ben Folds uh, called, I want to say Has Been, but that might be his biography. Um, okay. But that's, I'll look it, that up. It's really worth looking up. It's really good. Do you remember we had um, Catherine on to do Rent and she talked about the song Common People? He does a co- cover of Common People and it's awesome. It's really okay. good. I'm going to have mm. to look for that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, finding out that Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby completely blew my mind. <laughs> like, Wait, is that a film you've seen? Yes, that was one of wow. my favorite movies when I was a kid. Stop the podcast, Mandy. Seen a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, finish your drinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I like I would never have connected Leonard Nimoy to that movie. Like, I think I assumed that, like, I don't know, one of the like Ted Danton directed it or something. I don't know. I have no idea. Just never would have thought it was Leonard Nimoy. Okay. Um, so, yeah, just just all of the little facts that we learned about him. They were just little nuggets of information um, were fascinating to me. And, hmm. and of course, I've already talked about the emotion. I really did love. I mean, it was manipulative, yes, but it worked for me. Good. I liked it. As a uh, almost a follow-up to this, um, Adam Nimoy was directing and fronting the documentary about Deep Space Nine, which has okay. also gone through oh, Kickstarter, maybe Indiegogo, one or the other. And and that was basically his follow-up to For the Love of Spock. He's now no longer directing it, um, which, for better or worse. But <laughs> in the process of doing that, he met the actress Terry Farrell, who played Jadzia Dax on DS9. And they fell in love. And a few days ago, on Leonard Nimoy's birthday, they got married. I did see that he had just got married. That that tweet was retweeted a lot, um, so it mm. showed up well, on my yeah. Twitter feed. Um, I didn't know what Adam Nimoy looked like, or I didn't even know his name yet because I hadn't yet watched this documentary because I was okay. late on yeah. doing my homework. And I was like, oh, hey, that's really timely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, Len Nimoy's birthday a few days ago. They got married. And it's great because she's wonderful. She's a lot of fun as well. Oh, good. That's great. And she she even has a link to Leonard Nimoy. She was in a show called Becker. Oh, Becker. Uh, yes. Ted Danson Becker. was the lead. Did, Dr. Becker. Yes. 
So she she was in the show Becca, which had Ted Danton in it, who was obviously in Three Men and a Baby. But he, uh, the, Leonard Nimoy, even came on that as I think Doctor Becca's mentor in one episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Small world. Mm. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about For the Love of Spock? So uh, has the documentary made you want to watch any more Star Trek or any more Star Trek documentaries or anything like this? So I came out of this thinking that I need to watch all the Star Trek ever made. (laughs) That's a lot of Star Trek. I know. I know. I have never wanted to watch the original series as much as I do right now just because we watched this movie. And watching all of the clips, like, there are things that happened that I had no idea that happened in Star Trek. And I'm like, I need to see these things. Hmm. (laughs) So, yes, I really, really, really want to watch the original series now. Um, I want to watch all of the movies now, including the first one that is probably terrible. Okay. That even Leonard Nimoy said was terrible. Um, Yep. (laughs) Legitimately bad. (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, that that's all I got. Yes, I want to watch more Star Trek and this documentary made that happen. Okay. Well, we'll have to line something up. It's hard because there are there aren't some really good episodes of the original series, but there are some really bad episodes. Uh but I think like we found with other things you can't necessarily skip the bad episodes because they inform character so much. Yeah. Well, you know, but the thing about it is there are only three seasons of the original Star Trek. And so we can knock that out. I mean, we just did seven seasons. No, we're not going to do the animated series. <laughs> no, but three seasons is 80 episodes. Because they did a lot of episodes per season. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, oh, and they're hour-long episodes too, aren't they? Mm, pass. I feel like they might have been shorter for the original Star Trek. Okay. Well, because I mean, I'm just thinking, we just did seven seven seasons of Parks and Rec, and five of those seasons had 22 episodes. So I think we can probably work this out somehow. <laughs> or you can just watch it, and then maybe we can do a recap at some point. <laughs> or we can do that too. Don't make me watch all of the original series. <laughs> mm. Listeners, I think you're going to have to help me here. Let's <laughs> Let's get Matthew to watch the original series with me. Come on. We can do this. I've dipped in it during Discovery because it's so referential. Mm-hmm. Um, so to carry on some of the stories has been quite interesting. But again, it's referential to the good and classic episodes. Yeah. 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 I don't know. May- I mean, maybe we can have somebody curate a list for us like we did with Doctor Who. But, you know, that's hard. Like you said, because sometimes you do miss out on what the fandom traditionally calls a really bad episode is something that a newbie still needs to see Hmm. and still needs to kind of understand the mechanics of the story and how it can impact future characters and future storylines and things like that. I don't know. We'll have to talk about it. All I know is I want to watch it. Now, whether I do it for the show or I just do it for myself, I don't know, but I want to do it. So at some point it will happen. Good stuff. Um, And documentaries. Are you are you still on board with doing a documentary every so often? I think every so often. I don't know that we need to do two in a row anymore, but mm-hmm. every so often we can <laughs> stick one in there. They were good. Stop I making me learn both. things. <laughs> no, I enjoyed them both a lot. Um, but it's a different experience. It's a different viewing experience when you're watching a documentary than when you're watching fiction. 
Even if you're yeah. watching critically, it's still different. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And we have some of, of almost both types. We've got uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which is about a, a great sushi chef in Japan. Being Elmo and I am Big Bird about the puppeteers on Sesame Street. And Senna's quite a good one because that's about Ayrton Senna, but almost exclusively using footage from his career. Okay. I, I don't think it brings in sort of modern elements of it. It's just telling the story, which is nice. But then we have things about like Spellbound, about Spelling Bee, which is... Really good. Uh, March of the Penguins. Room 237 about The Shining. Oh, that could be fun. Mm. Some kind of monster about Metallica combusting mm. is actually really Less good. exciting. <laughs> so is it Room 237 you said was really exciting? The, yes. the one about that, The Shining. Okay. That sounds interesting to it's, me. It is about um, people's theories about The Shining. Okay. So you know when sometimes we're like, we have really deep cut theories about things? Mm-hmm. It's a movie about them for one movie. That could still be interesting. It's it's really weird. It's really good, but it's really weird. <laughs> and then I think, like, because I watched it a few years ago and just tweeted, like, oh, what's this thing? It was really interesting. And one of the guys on it started, like, following me. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, you're the one with the really weird theories, so I'm not going to contact you. <laughs> Well, it's been a while since we've done proper listener feedback on our episodes, and we have gotten quite a bit on our most recent episodes, and so we wanted to take a few minutes and uh, go through those. One of our patrons on Discord, Sarah L., uh, she was talking about Rent, and she said, this was my era. I was in my early 20s and the late 80s, and while I wasn't squatting, okay, there was one summer, 1986, much longer story, nor shooting heroin, I was an activist. My then-boyfriend lived not far from Tompkins Square Park, which was the site of the police anarchist battles around gentrification and other issues. We lost so many people to AIDS, and the grief and rage around that was a huge part of our context. When the Triple Cocktail came out in January 1996, it was like they turned the death faucet down to a trickle from a flood. People still died, but it became possible for many to experience it as chronic and complicated, but not a death sentence. So I think Rent is dated, but as Catherine points out, that's not a fault for a show that is a snapshot of a particular moment. In that sense, it reminds me of the film Pride, in that it captures a cultural moment in a way that can speak to us now. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I, I wonder if it's just we're still so close to that era, because the era means something to us. Mm-hmm. If this had been we were in the 2030s looking back on it we wouldn't necessarily say dated we'd say it's a really good show about that era possibly i think so because we are still dealing with kind of the consequences mm. of they've, they've all just this moved on yeah period. yeah mm. um, and so we're not quite far enough removed yet for it to not be emotional mm. um so so i think that that's why it comes across as dated but i think she's spot on that it is a snapshot of a particular moment and so that's why it can still speak to us in a way that doesn't feel too off-putting and i love that we have a patron who can speak to the experience that's shown in the film and sort of contextualize it even better so sarah that's wonderful thank you very much yes thank you um our friend at id human things talked about rent as well a great discussion on entitlement pretentious artists afraid of selling out expect roof Versus the positive side of gentrification, Benny's argument when he's not being a dill hole. <laughs> I too lean towards siding with the main characters, but as I age and pay bills, I do get Benny's point of view a bit more. 
A little. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it, it, all the reading and everything I've seen about Ren. That's the sort of message from it mm-hmm. is is people getting this thing of going from raging against the machine to, yeah, but if you try and enact change, surely that's better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think as you get older, you do kind of gain a sense of maturity that gives you a different perspective. And that's why so many people that are kind of in our age group, when this movie came out, we were all, yeah, yeah, let's, you know, we're not going to pay rent. And now we're like, well, but Penny's really not all that bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Look it's at these interesting. entitled jackasses <laughs> looking for free stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Our friend A.E. Shaw posted that she was running late for a meeting while listening to us talk about Rent having a full interactive shouting out in public experience because, oh my God, Rent was huge in the UK in my experience. Uh, Her wife listened to 10 minutes of us and demanded that they stop everything, acquire pizza and low-calorie ice cream and watch Rent so they could accurately listen to the rest, which I feel like our job is done if we made people turn off our podcast to go watch my favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) how i feel about that yeah yeah um but talking about turning things off jlmo said that at one point she had to stop pc deprived just listen to the rent soundtrack i love it so much again we are doing our job and we are doing it right yeah i do think that is the right response i I can actually get behind that Um, We also had a few comments on uh, our episode on The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Uh, I want a rock! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our friend Melissa um, at Step Into My Kitchen said, Great episode. All of your critiques of The Rock are extremely valid, but I'm still with Mandy Kay. I just enjoy it. However, I 100% agree with you about the Baywatch movie. I expected to hate it, and it was super entertaining. Yeah. Surprisingly very good film. And yeah, that's, I think that's been kind of the, the thing people have said about The Rock is it's not that good, but it's still fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I still don't think it should have been in the Criterion Collection, but <laughs> I'm still going to watch it when I see it on TV. Uh, Katie Sheru, um said to me that the crack about making the scores easier to understand for fans of The Rock made me hoot with laughter. I really enjoyed the episode, was wary of listening in case you were going to point out things that, about the film that, that would make me feel stupid for liking it. But you didn't. I just disagree with you about it. Smiley face. It's a rubbish film, but I thoroughly enjoyed it anyway. Thanks as always for spending your time podcasting. It really is a joy to listen to. I said thank you. She said it's also for you as well, Mandy. So. Oh. <laughs> thank you katie and thank you for listening um and i'm really glad that i'm not the only one who really likes that movie too so i'm glad that we could all gang up on matthew a little bit i do i do like this comment that we've had on on different shows but when we're covering something that someone else really loves or really is invested in Mm -hmm. they're they're, they're not sure about listening to it until they know whether we liked it or not yeah (laughs) yeah uh it's awesome um, and lastly, our friend Rachel at Gypsy Book Nerd, she agrees with Matthew that, yes, we should absolutely watch Equilibrium. She's 100% with Matthew on it being kind of a guilty pleasure that she absolutely just enjoys the heck out of. I love that film. It's terrible. And it's not <laughs> terrible. I don't think it's terrible, but it feels like it should be terrible. I'm so torn up over it. Okay. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe we can do uh, an eloquent gushing live watch of it. Yeah, and I, I need to get you to watch it so that you can tell me whether it's good or not. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not good, 
If it's good, but not good. Why? What am I missing with this film? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to, we'll make that happen. Yeah. And I, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who sent us selfies. We, we, I completely forgot it was going out. And then suddenly like people started posting, Hey, I'm on a train. Hey, I'm in a car. Hey, I'm filling up with gas. And random selfies coming in. It was awesome. Thank you very much. It was super awesome. I loved yeah. seeing all of you guys listening to our show and taking pictures. It's fantastic. And, like, this is an ongoing thing. If you're listening to us and you want to send in a selfie, brilliant. Tell me where you are when you're listening to to me talk about people taking selfies. <laughs> Grand. <laughs> If you would like to join the conversation and be featured on this show, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. You can also email us at podcast at EloquentGushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. So anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and it helps to support this show and the rest of the shows across the Eloquent Gushing network. If you want to find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes Radio, iHeartRadio, other radios, um, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere. So if you need to go and hunt us down and subscribe, that's a great place to find us. And visit the homepage, eloquentgushing.com, where you can find our other shows and subscribe to the weekly newsletter, which contains all the latest news and announcements. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Parks and Rec Season 7. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And live long and prosper. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.